This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Football. Driver. Two newcomers to the second division there. Driver and with. Lee! Colin Lee scores for Chelsea. Hello Chelsea supporters, welcome back to the Blue Day podcast. I'd like to welcome my guest today. He made a total of 223 appearances for the club, scoring 41 goals. He was part of the team that won the second division championship in 1984 and the full members cup in 1986. Plus he played alongside the likes of John Bumstead, Gary Chivers and Kerry Dixon. Here is Colin Lee. Colin, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good morning to everyone. Colin, I just want to start the show, um, start the interview by asking about your earliest memories in football. So what was it that got you into football? Was it a particular moment, particular player? What was it about football that... Yeah, I think think when I was a young lad, um, um, for my sins, I I supported Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> simply because the person that I admired the most was George Best. Right. And, um, you know, watching him play football was an inspiration, albeit he was a completely different player to what I was, but, uh, and, and far more talented. But, um, yeah, I think it was then, I think, um, playing grassroots football at a very young age, um, obviously we didn't have the academies or the, School of Excellence or anything like that um, when I was a young kid. So I was brought up in a small town on the on the edge of Dartmoor um, in Devon, a um, place called Buckfastley. Um, and my football career really started playing for the local team, uh, Buckfastley Rangers. And at a very young age, broke into their first team, which toughened me up a bit, to be quite honest, playing against men at that time. Um, and it all went from there, really. But I was also also a rugby player because my family was a, had a rugby background, and um, I was actually selected to play both football and rugby for for Devon, and uh, played rugby for Devon and, and uh, played football for Devon. But um, moving on from the Buckfast Lee days. Um, I obviously went into secondary school and we had two very good PE teachers. One was um, really keen on football and one was really keen on rugby. So it suited me down to the ground, you know. Um, 
and they helped me with my career um, in the early stages. Um, and then we progressed into leaving Buckfastley and going to a club called Tour Trojans, which was made up mostly of the Devon players at that time playing football. So we won every single trophy you could think of, uh, smashing teams about 10-0 and stuff like that, you know. So, uh, you know, that that was the, the really where, where it all came from, you know, from those early stages, working my way through. I can remember playing football on the on the on the road, on the main road, um, with a light over the top of us and the fence post being the goalposts, you know, and right. and then running home because we were late to get home and stuff like that, you know. And I think that's <laughs> this day and age that would never happen, obviously, but, but that's where I started from, yeah. And as you progressed through your career and then you you ended up becoming professional and you worked for a cup you played for a few teams, excuse me, it was in January of nineteen eighty fast sort of track to this point yeah. where you signed for Chelsea from Tottenham yeah. of all yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, I believe it was a fee for around £200,000 as well. It was quite rare, even in those days, for a, for a player to transfer from Tottenham to Chelsea. How did this move come about for you? Well, what it was, um, I was going through a, a difficult period um, at Tottenham. Um, it was sort of a lack of form, really, and, and it affected my confidence. And uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, when I was at uh, Torquay, before I went to Tottenham, I had a, a person who worked with me all the time. Uh, he was the physio come trainer, come everything. And uh, his name was Mike Hickman. And uh, basically, when everyone went home after training, I used to stay behind and do all the extra training with Mike, i.e. Uh, jumping exercises, timing exercises, uh, weights, all sorts of stuff, albeit it was under a stand, a dirty old stand with a couple of school benches and a few weights, you know, but, uh, and then eventually went outside onto the terrace and uh, practicing jumping and heading this ball, which, which we tied up to a, a metal bar, which stuck out, you know, so, um, but Mike was like, um, he, he believed in me and I, and I knew that, you know, and, um, so when I came to this sticky point at Tottenham, I didn't really have anyone to turn to, you know, and no one beside me. Um, so I lost a lot of confidence, uh, ended up, um, flipping in and out of the first team. Um, obviously played in the, in the reserves every so often. And that was probably too easy for me, but, um, but eventually, obviously, uh, at the time, Jeff Hurston and Bobby Gould were in charge and uh, they they wanted me to come over to Chelsea. Uh, Tottenham then tried to step in in the way, if you like, because they offered me a longer term contract because they knew possibly my potential, you know. Hmm. Um, but when I'd spoken to Jeff um, and him being a centre forward, a similar style player as me, you know, I thought I could gain quite a lot from that. And um, it was a big decision, but um, in my opinion, the right decision. Um, you know, I've, excuse me, I've never looked back. You know, I've never looked back and, and regretted anything to do with Chelsea. You know, I've had, you know, it was everything about it. And I'm not just saying it because I'm on your show, but 
everything about my time at Chelsea. Uh, I think I experienced most things, you know, nearly getting relegated, getting promoted, all sorts of things, really. Injuries was my biggest bugbear. Um, but overall, the time I had there and the people I met and the support that we received through very, very difficult periods was absolutely fantastic. So no regrets at all. When you had the conversations with Sir Jeff Hurst before deciding to come to Chelsea, did he say what particular plans he had for you in terms of how he would want you to play? Yeah, I mean, he he, he seen me as a um, a similar, like I said, a similar player to him. So he knew he knew the movement. He knew the that I relied on service, you know, whereas you know I, I wasn't an individualist like, a, say, a Pat Nevin or a uh, a messy or someone like that you know i was I, I i relied on service and uh i think in those days the majority of the teams did play 442 anyway um so it was really important that you know the 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 build up play although i i, I never got involved I, obviously i've managed and i've coached now but you'd imagine if you had someone like me or jeff first in the team then you'd want crosses to come in you know so it would make sense to have wingers or you know even a uh, two wide players and, and wing backs as well in this day and age, you know. So, so you'd get loads of crosses coming in. Um, so yeah, he, he, he spoke to me about, you know, trying to improve me, trying to make me better. Um, and really, um, knowing the type of player I was, that I was, a, I was a player who received the ball from the back, brought the midfield into it and then got into the box, basically, you know. So it was, it was pretty straightforward, you know. And at the start of your time at Chelsea, who did you say you got on well with? I always got on my my best friend, uh, and even when we well we met last last few weeks weeks ago uh, is Dave Speedy. I mean, Dave was Dave came in whilst I was there. Um, before that, I was quite sort of um, on my own, really, to a degree on my own. But I had friends. Don't get me wrong. You know, you know, you know when you've got people. Characters like Clive Walker and Mickey Droys and uh, your Mickey Fillerys and Gary Chivers and all them around you. You know, you you you're always having a laugh. To be quite honest, you know? <laughs> um, in fact, I met up with Mickey Fillery a few months back. Uh, he lives not far from me, actually. Mm. I couldn't believe it, you know. So, uh, but no, I think that my when Dave arrived, he lived in the same area as me uh, in uh, Camberley. Um, Dave and I just got on so well and, um, I took him under my wing to a degree. Um, and we've always remained really, really close friends, you know, and, uh, although we don't speak to each other that often, I mean, I've not spoken to him for years and years and years until we met a few weeks back. Um, and it's as if we just, you know, it was just going back to, how we used to be, you know, having a laugh, like talking about certain things. So Dave was, uh, and I had to look after him as well because he, he was a bit of a feisty boy. So, uh, <laughs> I can imagine. No, nah, he was, he was, uh, you, you needed to understand Dave, you know, and, and Dave was a, an out and out winner, you know, and nothing would stop him from, from winning. And he, I think he was, he was, he was different to the London boys because he, he'd come down from Doncaster and, you know, the, 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 the way that they, 
they sort of um they're sort of they're different they're different in their in their beliefs if you like and their understanding and they're not frightened to say what they want to say you know no. and and speedo just emulates that you know he's 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 for me he's just he's just a proper person you know uh, there's no airs and graces there's no hidden agendas and um, yeah me and him he was my room partner and um there's a few stories there but we're not allowed to say anything about that so <laughs> well we shall keep them private. No yeah, problem. That. That's yeah. fine. You didn't make your debut until the March of that year due to injury. It, your debut came against Cardiff. Do you remember much about your Chelsea debut? Well, I think I scored, didn't I? I think I did. Your first goal, well, funny enough, your first goal for Chelsea was against Luton a few weeks later. Later, was it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know that I got injured um, in a... We were... I think it was... Um, leading into that game, what we used to do, believe it or not, is on a Friday, we always used to train at Stamford Bridge. But we used to, um, do, do like sprinting exercises, um, change our direction stuff in sprints and stuff like that. And we always used, we, because of the team that was built, we, we were always in competition. So we always wanted to win that, you know, and, um, and then we used to end up with just a, uh, a five side of something behind the goals, you know. And I think I it was quite muddy, and I think I I I um, went to push off, and I felt something, and that's the reason why I didn't actually make my debut. Yeah. yeah. And was you relieved because it, it was your third appearance? Well, as I've gone through my notes, that you you played against Luton and you and you scored. It was at Stamford Bridge in a one-one draw. Was you relieved at that point to sort of finally get off the mark? Bearing in mind you, you was a goal scorer. Yeah, it was. It was. It was more to do with playing, you know, and, and uh, trying to help the team. And uh, you know, when you go to a football club, you want to you want to start straight away. You know, you don't want to go there injured. I didn't go there injured. I got. I went there and got injured. You know, so. Um, but yeah, I think it's always a relief uh, when you when you score your first goal and. Um, like I say, it, it, it was at Stamford Bridge as well, so that that makes it a little bit special, yeah. And how did the Chelsea supporters take to you at that at that point when we, when you first arrived, knowing that you came from Tottenham and it being a centre forward, yeah. there was, must have been a lot of pressure on you to succeed early on. Yeah, I think I think the the move from Tottenham to Chelsea at the time. Um, I wasn't fully aware of the the uh, the effect that might have, you know. Um, but I think once the, the the supporters the supporters knew they needed someone playing in the team like myself, really, and um, you know, I was always a player that gave a hundred percent, you know, regardless. And um, I think most supporters accept that. Uh, obviously, they expect the centre forward to score goals. Uh, they, if he's not scoring goals, you know, contributing to scoring goals, uh, in the team. So, you know, it, it didn't matter to me whether I scored. It, ma- it mattered to me that the team won, you know, and, uh, you know, if I was to get one or two in games, that was great. But if I was a, I got a lot of pleasure out of setting up those as well, you know, um, because as I said earlier, I was a target man. I was, I was the guy who received the ball and then people ran off me. So. You know, it, it, at times, like I can remember, I think Liverpool, Peter Rhodes-Brown is one uh, where I received it and played and then yeah. we went again, you know. 
Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's games that stick in your mind. Um, you know, I think, I mean, there's, there's plenty of games that stick in my mind, but the, the ones that stick in my mind with Chelsea are, are, are pretty obvious, really. You know, mm. uh, you'll probably come on to them in a minute, but, uh, just a couple. Yeah. Just yeah. a couple. And then gonna... obviously uh, later on in, in my career, you know, switching positions was a big thing as well. But mm. but I knew I could do that. I mean, I, I, I understood what was needed. And I think that's why I, I eventually went into coaching and coaching became my love of football um, because I understood what was required in all the positions on the pitch. But I understood that fairly early in my life, you know, in my career. So I could really adapt to play in most positions because I understood what was required in those positions. So, um, and that took me on to a, a, you know, a great experience in coaching and, and managing eventually. It was the next season, the 1980-81 season. It seemed more productive for you in terms of finding the back of the net more. Did you feel that you found the rhythm and the flow of your understanding of your teammates a lot better knowing that you had that period a few months before when you first came in you knew what type of players that you were working with yeah I think so yeah but I also think that they recognized what I needed as well you know so you know that's really important um you know and and, you know there were some good players in that team and you know it was it was ironic really that you know, the, the team ended up where it ended up. Uh, but the, you know, you go through that team and there's some really, really good, good, good players, you know. And uh, I only spoke to, like I say, I met up with Mickey Fillery a few weeks back and, you know, his wife was there. And I said, you know, I said, such a shame for Mick. I said, she said, I know what you're going to say. And I said, well, she said, I said, he was such a talented player, you know. Such a talented player, and, and um, I think we all look look at ourselves now. And I think most players, if they could rewind, uh, would probably say that they could have been better players. Even I do that, you know. I mean, I know that. I know that my injuries really was my biggest, biggest regret, and it prevented me from really pushing on, you know. Um, but if I could rewind now and know what I know now and put it into action now, uh, that would that would make me a far better player. And I'm sure there's hundreds of players who say that. But um, so yeah, I think the team learnt for me learnt learnt themselves that I needed supply, and the supply generally came from the wide areas. You know, there were the the, the other goals where we where we. We went down the sides of teams in and around the 18-yard box. Um, but that was evolved when when Pat Nevin got in the team. You know, Pat Nevin was... He was a player who... <coughs> excuse me. He was a player who, when he got in and around the box and he started to cut inside, that was that was a, a trigger for us to make the runs. And... Uh, and he had this great ability of just sliding it down the side of the uh, centre-back who he had attracted because he was leading the full-back. And that was us getting in all the time. And Curry scored a hatful of goals doing that. And uh, uh, a speedo and myself when I played up for Curry in, in the beginning, you know. So, yeah, it was it was a combination of both in, in, in answering your questions. Because yeah. I was going through your goal-scoring record for Chelsea 
uh, last week and I saw that from September to November of 1980, yeah. in 14 games, you scored 14 wow. goals. Yeah, yeah. I think Chelsea would love to have a striker that can do that <laughs> at the moment. This included a hat-trick against Newcastle, yeah. um, which I saw the, uh, the, the, the highlights to you can find on YouTube. This must have gave you huge confidence knowing that, as you said, you're playing with certain players that started to know your strengths and yeah. started to imp- implement how you guys would play. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've still got the Newcastle ball now, you know, so... Oh, brilliant. I, I could have shown you if I could go and get it. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Newcastle ball is is downstairs. I've got a... I've got a... Uh, like an area downstairs where... We call it the entertainment area, but it's called the Blues Bar, believe it or not. And uh, it's got, nicely put. You know, it's got all the Chelsea stuff down. It's got my shirt I wore uh, at Wembley uh, all on the walls. It's got signed photo of Mourinho, Aiden Hazard, um, all the stuff really from Chelsea. Uh, and as I say, we, it's the Blues Bar, and we have a, good, a lot of good fun down there. But yeah, going back to the question. Um, you know that 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 was a, a purple period in my career, really. You know, it was. Um, I mean, every time we went out, <clears throat> I felt as if I felt as if I was going to score. You know, and um, and uh, the attrick against Newcastle, um, which was match of the day as well, I believe. Um, yes. So, you know that that was something special. But all of a sudden something went wrong in that season, didn't it? And it all dried up a little bit. So Yeah, after yeah. the Newcastle game, I believe yeah. we were top of the second division at that yeah. point. Was there talk amongst the boys at that stage, I know it was mid-season, that there was potential talk of promotion amongst the players? I don't think we really, really talked about that too much, no. I think it was just, you know, trying to trying to remain consistent was the main thing but you know uh, for some reason and and I don't think I've ever I don't think anyone's ever put their finger on why it didn't continue along those lines you know Um, maybe complacency set in somewhere I don't know but um, everyone was trying to do the same everyone was trying their hardest but for some reason the the um, the magic of winning disappeared you know Um, and 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 I got frustrated because, you know, I thought I could go on and score 30, 40 goals that season, yeah. you know. Uh, but unfortunately, that didn't happen, you know. And uh, I, I'm not sure what happened, whether, because whether, it was quite a long time ago, I'm not sure whether there were injuries to certain key players, because sometimes that, that has an effect, you know. Um, but... No, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, and uh, but that that period was was great for me, and it, it gave me a lot of confidence, obviously. And I think that's where the fans knew that, you know, that I was. Um, let's say the Tottenham games were forgotten. Let's put it that way. <laughs> One player that a certain fan base to I still sometimes um, we speak about when we see each other at the bridge is Peter Baratta. The yeah. former goalkeeper. What was he like as a person and as a goalkeeper with, for the team? Yeah, Peter was good. I mean, he, he um, apart from smoking cigarettes uh, nearly nearly every five minutes, <laughs> which a lot of the players did at that time. But uh, now Peter was he was a really really nice guy, you know, um, 
first and foremost, a very a gentleman, you know, a really, really nice fella. Um, he, he was desperate for the team to do well. Um, he would always try to give advice, you know, and, um, yeah, he was a good goalkeeper, Peter, you know, and, and, um, I mean, his, his physique was something that stands to mind, like, you know, cause he was a well, well, uh, what can I say? Sculptured person in terms of his body, you know, um, I, I think he was just, as a person, he was a lovely person, you know, and, and, um, and obviously he was a very capable goalkeeper. Um, distribution was good. Um, maybe sort of lengthwise with regards to hitting centre forwards straight away. Um, obviously you've got to look at Eddie Zubeski then because Eddie was, was sensational, you know, and, uh, but Peter, no, um, yeah, I'm, uh, just a, a good goalkeeper, a very good goalkeeper, but also a, an exceptional person. And I think that's that's more important. Speaking of exceptional people, John Neal became the Chelsea manager in 1981. He replaced Sir Jeff Hurst. What was your feelings on, on, on this move with Jeff Hurst leaving and then Bobby Gould, I think, took over temporarily and then jo- uh, John Neal took over okay. from the reins in 81? Yeah, uh, to be honest, when when uh, when Jeff was dismissed, um, I was pretty upset, to be quite honest with you. And I went to speak to David Mears at the time because because I joined Chelsea because of Jeff Hurst, really. Mm. You know, as I said just now, you know, I thought he could lead me on to on to great things. You know, so uh, I went to I went to see. Uh, de- uh, the chairman, David Mears, and I said, you know, I'm a little bit concerned here because, you know, the team doesn't seem to be progressing, but, you know, Jeff was working really hard to try to make that happen. And I said to him, you know, I'm having thoughts of, on actually requesting to leave. And we sat in the boardroom and David said, to, uh, the chairman said to me, um, Look, Colin, I, I've got plans in place. I, I'm, I'm, I promise you, you know, things will get better and we would like you to be part of that. And I said, well, you know, and there were rumours at that time, and I'm not sure how I got over these rumours, but there was rumours that actually Brian Clough was coming in. Um, right. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But anyway, so he said, "Just can you just leave it with me and give me a few weeks to try to, you know, get the right person and blah, blah, blah. So we shook hands and I said, yeah, I said, I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I really want the football club to push on, you know, and, uh, you know, I didn't come here to, to, to not try and be successful, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, obviously we left it. Um, and then John Neal was announced as the manager. Uh, a few weeks later and um, I didn't know John Neal I didn't know uh, of him or anything Um, and so John came in and John was a a very uh, he was what I call a thinker you know a thinking manager and someone who had a a, him and Ian Ian McNeil had a fantastic eye for player obviously Um, (laughs) which we didn't know at the time. Um, so the training sort of 
John wasn't a coach, you know, he didn't come out on the training field and coach and, um, sort of, you know, he, he watched the training and, and went around and said his little bit here and there, but very little. Um, Ian McMill was more of a chirpy type person who, um, with the, with the greatest respect, wasn't wasn't really a coach, although he he helped right. here, there, and everywhere. And, and then uh, obviously John Holland did the coaching eventually. Mm. But anyway, we we went on, and then oh, then all, all of a sudden, um, obviously John and Ian uh, started to bring in players, and the, it was. It was one of them situations, and I think it was. And this is another team that I I followed for quite a while. Was when Bill Shankly was was manager of Liverpool, and I think in one of his interviews it was said that you know you you had a successful team and you changed it, and you had another successful team, but no one actually knew you were changing it. And John Neal went about his business in a very calm and, and controlled manner. And all of a sudden, this team changed, you know, and no one really grasped it or really sort of went, hang on a minute, you know, we've got all these players coming in. It wasn't like that, you know. Mm. And then, I mean, the players that came in, I mean, you could reel them off, you know. It was it was incredible, you know. And um, out of the team that I started playing in at Chelsea... There was myself, John Bumstead, Colin Pates, and I think that was the, the only three that he kept. Wow. And a lot of people don't realise that, you know. Uh, I didn't realise it until, um, well, one of the proudest moments of my of being a Chelsea player um, and one of my proudest, proudest moments was being the bearer at John Neal's funeral Um with both Mickey Thomas and Joey Jones. And for me, that will always be a, um, one of the biggest moments um, to remember in my, my football career, really, you know, because the man was, at the time, you didn't appreciate it. You know, you, you, you thought, well, do something, John, say something to us, you know, or say, you know, but the players were, I mean, Speedo and, Dixon would be arguing because he didn't pass to him and in the changing room, you know, we had this like yeah. incredible um, desire to win, you know, and uh, but John was was obviously a fantastic manager for Chelsea. Um, he, he he went about his business in a, in a, in a, a manner which um, was new to me and new to all the players because I don't think I've ever, ever seen John Neal raise his voice or shout and scream at anyone. Never, ever. Um, um, but he, he, he wanted the players to do the talking for him, you know, and, uh, you know, no, nah, he's a great man. And, uh, and, you know, Ian McNeil was his, his partner and his, 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 um, again, between them, the players that they brought in, you just you you couldn't question it, you know. And uh, but every one of them players were winners, and that's what they built the team around winners. And I think that that is uh, something to admire. You know, I, I went into management, and if your recruitment 
is not good, then you're not a good manager. The most important part of managing, in my opinion, and having experienced this, is recruitment. And John Neal was the best recruitment person that I think arguably Chelsea have had. You know, in taking into account the amounts of money, yeah, the the wage restriction, everything else, you know, the budget, if you like. Yeah, I think he's got to be top of the top of the pile. You know, was you surprised under John Neal that he it was a case of a different position for you? You started off as a centre forward, but under John Neal, he wanted you to play in defence. Was well, you that, happy that... with this, or was this a case of you know doing something for the team rather than individual glory? Yeah, it. it I, I I didn't fall out with John Neal, but. Um... No, it made no difference to me. Let's put that to to one to to, to place sure. straight away. But I, there's a there's a there's a story leading up to this, as opposed to him just saying to me, "I want you to play there." It was nothing like that. Um, what it was was, um, I think, if you look at the the, I was playing up front with Curry Dixon, um, and Dave Speedy was a substitute at that time, and we were doing well doing really well. I think Fulham comes to mind when we beat them five something over there. Mm. Um, I think Kerry might have got two or a hat trick and, 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 and I got one or two. Um, so we were doing really well. And, um, but John had brought in uh, Speedo, um, but Speedo couldn't get in the team. So, and then I think it was against, it might have been against Cardiff or something at home. And I was ill. I couldn't play. And that was the start of the Dave Speedy, Kerry Dixon partnership. I couldn't play because I was ill. They hit it off. I then started to train and got well again. And I was on the bench. Right. And, but in, in training, uh, sometimes I just put myself at the back and want to play at the back and I could do it. You know, there was no doubt about that. And, Funny enough, prior to joining Chelsea, um, I played at right back for Tottenham. And the, I can remember the very, very last game of the season, we played West Bromwich Albion against the three degrees it was then. Um, Laurie Cunningham, um, Cyril Regis and one other player. I can't remember his name now. I should do, but I can't remember. Anyway. I played right back against Laurie Cunningham. And Laurie Cunningham was an outstanding player. Um, but thankfully, I got man of the match. And I've still got the briefcase that I got for man of the match somewhere in my belongings downstairs, which was a Ferrari briefcase. So um, so I played there before. You know, it, it made no difference. And, and I think if you look back to the season before, um, when John came in and just about kept us up. Um, I played Oldham away centre-half with an apprentice beside me. And I think Alan Mays might have scored two or three goals in that game. You might have to look that up. But Joe Royer was their manager and um, Joe came up to me afterwards and said, you know, that was outstanding, you know, blah, blah, blah. So playing at the back wasn't new to me, albeit at Chelsea, no one had actually, you know, seen me play there. Um, I played the odd reserve game uh, at right back um, when 
I think Gary Locke was there then. So Gary was in the team, I think, when I first went there. But I did play the odd game there. So going on and fast-forwarding quite a bit. Um, so I was sat out of the team. And then one day in training, uh, we went out to training. And uh, the training program started. And for some reason, Clive Walker and myself was left out of the training. Um, and I think uh, Johnny Hollins had taken the training. And I was with Clive and I said to him, I can't understand this, you know, and we were just kicking a ball between ourselves. Nothing was said to us. So I said, I'm not putting up with this. I'm going in. So he went, what? I said, I'm not, I'm, I don't deserve this treatment. You know, I'm off in. I'm going in. So John Neal was in there looking out the window to, to see where the training was. So I said, Gaffer, can I have a word, like? And he went, yeah. I said, I don't deserve this. I said, I said, I come in here to train this. I said, I'm not in the training program. I said, I don't deserve this. I said, when you were struggling last year, I said, I played everywhere for you. I played in midfield. I played at the back. I, I said, I said, I sweat blood for this football club and I'll still do it now. I said, but I want to play. I said, I don't want to be, at, and I want to train. I want to play. I said, I don't want to do anything else. I said, but I said, I'm not getting the opportunity. I said, and Last year, when no one wanted to play for you, I was the guy who played everywhere for you. And he went, Colin, get your cell phone. You're playing right back on Saturday. And that was Derby away. Mickey Thomas came in and we were unbeaten for the rest of the season. And that's exactly what happened. So <laughs> it's a story. It's crazy. Yeah. But it's exactly what happened. So it, 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 it didn't, it wasn't him saying to me, I want to see you, you're going to play right back. Yeah. That, the story I've just told you is is, is the 100% truth of how it happened. Yeah. That 83-84 season, a lot of people, and I saw it firsthand a few months ago, a lot of people that in that generation still remember it fondly and a lot of the players, your teammates, still remember it well. Yeah. From the inside, what was it that just clicked in terms of the players, in terms of that particular team and how they played, what particular moment would you say started it? You mentioned about the recruitment in the summer when we brought in the likes of Kerry Dixon, Pat Nevin, Eddie Nedzwicki. Or was it certain games that perhaps, in your opinion, may have sort of turned the tide in Chelsea's favour? What, in your opinion, was that moment that just sparked that memorable season? I think, I think really... It... It was it was starting fairly well, um, and the the understanding in the team. You know, we all had a role to play, um, and I, you know, you've heard it a million times. You know, they got the ingredients right. You know, um, and I have to say that I could play in that team now because it was it was so easy. Because I know how Pat Nevin played, I knew how Spackman played, I knew how Bumstead played. I knew, you know, I went to right back, and I knew that I had to give the ball different to Dave Speedy, and I had to perfect three passes really playing it right back. Maybe four, but three in particular. And and one, the fourth one is just giving it to Pat Nevin. You know what I mean? So, but <laughs> the, the the point I'm making is that. Everyone under, 
understood everyone else's play. Yeah. And it grew into a confidence. And when we walked out onto the pitch, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure it, every, everyone felt the same. It wasn't, were we going to win today? It was how many we were going to win by. Right. So we never, ever thought of losing. We always believed we were going to win. And that comes with confidence. You know, we yes. talked about confidence uh, a few, a few moments ago and not just confidence as individuals, but confidence as a team. Mm. And, you know, we, you put that team out there now, if we were all fit and enabled, that team would still function exactly the same because we all understood uh, our strengths, our weaknesses, and we will always play to everyone's strengths. So, you know, Johnny Bumstead, you know, knew the way that Spackers played. You know, Spackers was here, there, everywhere, and Bunners floated around behind him and broke play down and, and, and you know, played the passes that he, he could play, you know. Um, you know, Pat was, was, I mean, I can remember, I used to go on, when I first played it right back with Pat in front of me, I used to go on overlaps quite a lot. And John Neal got me in the office. And we were, we were flying at that time, you know. And John Neal got me in the office. And I went home grumpy after this, to be honest. Uh, but, and he said, Colin, he said, how do you think you're doing? And I said, oh, I said, I'm loving it. I said, I think it's great. But, you know, he said, can I just say one thing? And I said, what's that? He says, as a fullback, he said, try to make your priority defending. <laughs> he said, because you're going to come up against this. So I said, okay. He said, so every time in these areas, you give, give Pat the ball, sit behind him, don't go past him. And I I was fuming like I went out the thing like, but then I'm driving up the road to home and I'm thinking, okay, okay. Now I, I know exactly what he meant, you know? And so my job was get the ball, give it to Pat. If it was on the halfway or somewhere, you know, and I could get up there. But generally speaking, I supported the play from behind more than in front, you know? And, right. uh, no, it was it was just poetry, really. We we just understood it. I remember Curry Dixon's testimonial, and I think we played Tottenham. I think we played Tottenham in that game, and I mean, and we gave them a hell of a game. I think we might have even beaten them. I'm not sure, but we were like old Crocs, if you like. You know? <laughs> so it's now it was it was just we never thought we would lose. You know, we always thought we would win. We win the second division. T- title. Yeah. We beat Leeds at Stamford Bridge 5-0, another old rival of ours. Yeah. We're back in the first division. Where does this rank in your list of accomplishments? Well, I think it's it's got to be up there with the best, you know. Um, I mean, you. funny enough, I did a, I did a, a little talk at a, 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 a school uh, where my grandson goes a couple of weeks ago and I put my Chelsea shirt on and I took all my, say all my, you know, my my bits and pieces I, I managed to get as a professional football player with me, including the the Newcastle United ball. And, uh, you know, those memories start flooding back, you know. Uh, but winning that, winning that uh, because it was a lot of rivalry between us and Sheffield Wednesday at that time as well. Mm. And... Um, and, and I, I just, you know, it's it's got to be, in my opinion, the the uh, the standout period in my in my career. Yeah, as to, in in regards to being a player. Yeah, yeah. 
Social Podcast Network. To those who visit Mickey D's for their favorite breakfast item and then go somewhere else for coffee, give this Mickey D's brew a second chance. The glow up was real. Try any size iced coffee brewed with 100% Arabica beans for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with a savory sausage McMuffin with egg for $2.79. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.